It's another edition of the Talking Myth Podcast here on this Sunday, August the 7th. Hope everybody's doing well. Of course, you can listen to the show live all the time. Actually, on replay, I shouldn't say live because when it's live, it's already been recorded at uh, metsmorizedonline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, we'll chat all about the Mets or anything that's on your mind over on Twitter. MikeSilvaMedia.com if you want to send me a personal note. Uh, Hope everybody's doing well after a wild week of Mets baseball. We have a fun show for you here today. Uh, John Delcos of the uh, New York Mets Report does a little bit of stuff for Mensmerized Online uh, has covered the Orioles, the Yankees, the Mets over his uh, long career in journalism. Uh, at Jay Delcos on Twitter, member of the BBWAA. He'll join us in a little bit. We'll talk about the Mets and uh, the week that was and, and the week that uh, is ahead. And we got a lot to get to because a week ago at this time, I was uh, with Tim Donner of Mensmerized Online. We were speculating on all the different trades, Jonathan Lucroy. Jay Bruce, would the Mets go out and get some bullpen help? Should the Mets invest in the 2016 team? What's going to happen? What's going on? And, of course, the Mets did invest in the 2016 team. So I'm going to go through the Jay Bruce trade, give you a little bit about that, get into this whole Terry Collins, Sandy Alderson, the continued, uh, I don't want to say if it's a divide, but the miscommunication. Collins, again, making news uh, this week with some peculiar moves, uh, specifically last night, with not challenging the replay. Is this team any good? Let's really face it. 57-54, a big win today against the Tigers, a game they really needed to have. A little bit unlucky there in the seventh inning. But, I mean, even with the moves, and I know Cespedes is injured, is this team any good? It's a real muck, the wild card race. As I as I record this, the Marlins are still playing. I know the, the Cardinals lost and the Pirates were losing. It's a real muck. The Mets are in a, in a, in a dogfight that this very well could be the kind of situation that goes down to the last day of the season, and you don't know who's going who's gonna to get in this. So are the Mets any good? And if they, they do get in, what can this team do? And, uh, and the big news that isn't really Mets-related, but coming out of the Bronx and, and is somewhat connected to the Mets is A-Rod and uh, A-Rod's retirement that was announced today. He'll play his final game on Friday. And what if 15 years ago, if the Mets had decided not to do the 24-1 comment by Steve Phillips, they decided to, to pony up give him the 10-year, $256 million contract. What would have been for A-Rod? How would he have uh, been viewed? Uh, what would have been different for the Mets franchise? It would be very interesting. Some just uh, some mental bubble gum that was being bandied about on Twitter. So anyway, uh, let me start off. I don't want to uh, belabor the point here, belabor the intro. The Jay Bruce trade to me is a good deal. Uh, it's a good deal because, and, and I think we went into this last week, it, it also addresses next year. It gives you some protection in the event that Cespedes opts out and gets a crazy offer. And as much as I think the Mets really need to find a way to, to prevent that from happening, continue to invest in Cespedes, who's a dynamic player, maybe a little mercurial in some ways, and you saw that this week, but a dynamic player who brings a skill set of his arm and his power, and when he is healthy, he can run. Uh, that's not easy to find in today's game. And it's an element that this team, you know, the Jay Bruce, who's really maybe a little bit of a better version of Lucas Duda, he's not going to be that player. He's going to be a lefty power hitter. Um, You know, they need to still have Cespedes, but Bruce gives you some ability to say, hey, Cespedes, you've gotten crazy with your requests. You're opting out. Uh, Goodbye. Bruce is signed for next year. They didn't really give up a ton. Now, Dilson Herrera hurts a little bit because he's a middle infielder. 
He looks like, according to scouts, could potentially be a 20-home-run guy, an all-star. He looked rather solid defensively. I would have preferred, and originally the, the rumor was that the deal was centered on Nimmo, and then they went, th- they went through the period there before the deadline where there was a health issue. I don't know if it was the minor league pitcher, and Max Wotel is a young pitcher. I don't really know if that's necessarily going to come back and hurt the Mets. It's not like he was developed or at the point of Michael Fulmer was, but you know, Nimmo was the guy who I believe is a fourth outfielder. I don't think Nimmo's really ever going to live up to this uh, first-round billing. That might be, go down as one of the mistakes of Sandy Alderson's uh, tenure here in terms of drafting. Funny, that was their first draft 2011 because all these other guys like Matt and DeGrom, Harvey, uh, you know, Syndergaard was acquired in a trade. You know, those guys are really Omar's guys, not Syndergaard, but, but you got Syndergaard as part of the deal for Ari Dickey. So that was something that was bandied about last year when the Mets were making their runs at the World Series. So you really, look, Dilson Herrera, you're not going to quibble about. I wasn't sure about him. He never really showed anything in his two stints in the big leagues. He's playing out in Vegas. His numbers were good, but they weren't stupid crazy for Vegas. Now he's going to go to the International League. Who knows? So, uh, you know, the trade is made. This is a good deal because you're not just investing in this year. And the Mets actually at the deadline, even with the John Neese trade with Antonio Bastardo, they gave themselves some financial flexibility because – uh, if I'm not mistaken, the John Neese options are actually uh, team options. The Mets were very smart when they signed him to an extension back in 2011. That was one of the first things that Sandy Alderson did. So uh, they could let him go. Uh, Bastardo had some guaranteed money coming to him. Uh, I believe that was a yeah, that was a two-year deal for $12 million. That's $6 million. So uh, the Mets take on some money, but they're actually going to wind up uh, saving a little bit because they could probably just not pick up the option on Nice if they want to bring him back. I know he left on a uh, a bad note, but let's face it, Nice is a guy they could use an extra arm, a starter. You don't know what you're going to get out of uh, Zach Wheeler. Uh, he's he's actually not been terrible out of the pen. I know he pitched a couple of scoreless innings the other day, but even in the playoffs last year, uh, he came in. He, he was he was basically the situational lefty. So I really can't complain about getting Nice back. They didn't give up much, but starter was a huge disappointment. Between his slow working, he just never really got it going here. Um, maybe part of it, and I, this has always been a complaint with me, with Terry Collins. I just never felt Bistardo had a role from day one. I mean, coming out of spring training, he never had a role. You always had Familia as the closer. Reed pretty much got the eighth inning. I guess they were looking for Bistardo to step up and do the seventh inning, but I never felt like from day one that you knew when Bistardo was going to pitch. Now, I don't know what conversations were had with him, but to me, a relief pitcher needs to know what their role is going to be. And I, I assume when they saw, they signed him that he was going to be right there as possibly, uh, and he wasn't necessarily a situational lefty because he, he, he has his splits that indicate that he'd be right there as possibly backing up Familia as the closer. Uh, and eighth inning guy, Reed, has been so good that, that he, he's not going to get that opportunity after the seventh inning. But when was he coming in? And, and then once he became a mop-up guy, you don't need a $6 million a year mop-up guy. That wasn't what it is. So I'm not here to – you can bash Collins and Wortham for a lot. I don't know if Bistardo was all on them. I'm not sure if Bistardo uh, is a guy that's all as good as everyone thought. But anyway, he's back in Pittsburgh where he had some success. Nice was, was not endearing himself over there. He came back. I know he had to do the whole May culpa, the apology about knocking the Mets' defense. He's not wrong. The Mets' defense was bad last year between Murphy and, and Flores up the middle. I think he'll be pleasantly surprised. 
at what he's going to get this year now that those guys are not up the middle anymore. So the deadline, look, the Mets did well. They did well for, to, to continue to compete. Herrera aside, I don't think they, they, they uh, mortgage the future. And now the question really goes down to, is this team any good? They're on about an 83-win pace. And we talked about this last week. I'm really I could I could do a couple of things. There's still look, they're still in the race. There's still only a game to two games out, depending on how all this ha- happens. They're in this crazy muck. We have St. Louis, now you got Colorado pulled in. Pittsburgh, although they did some selling off, seems to be still hanging around. Uh the Marlins, I don't you know, they, they seem to th- give away a top prospect for a, a medi- mediocre pitcher every day. So everybody believes they're in it, and, and you're really a, a collection of mediocrity. The Mets, again, are the most experienced, best team on paper. I guess the Cardinals you'd throw in there, too, because the Cardinals were coming off 100 wins last year. But the Mets are the team that won the pennant last year. And you see in a short series, you get DeGrom, who, again, was outstanding today. You put him in in a, in a, in a winner-take-all game, if that is actually something that you can do, that you could, you could make him the guy that would pitch in that, that, that wild-card game. You got a shot. And you play, pitch DeGrom a couple times in a series. DeGrom is starting to show you that he's the man on this staff. He reminds me a lot of David Cohn. He really does. He's starting to have that David Cohn, that gamer, you know, going out there, finding a way to win. Uh, not the same pitcher, but, you know, look, look, DeGrom has a little bit of David Cohn in him. I think that's the, one of the names that's come to me over the, last, uh, over the last couple of weeks. But the Mets are a dangerous team if they get in. But are they really any good? And, and they've been under 500 since May 1st. Um, they're historically bad with runners in scoring position. I mean, they have the, the six, six, 1969 San Diego Padres are the only team that was worse going into this week than this Mets team. Now this, they've moved ahead with a couple of hits with runners in scoring position with the 68 Mets and the 69 Padres. So you're basically talking about an expansion team and a team that was just out of his infancy of expansion, not known as bastions or powerhouses or quality. They're just, they're hanging out with those kind of, kind of teams. And, uh, the starting pitching over the uh, uh, over the last uh, uh, couple of months, or at least about a month, is about 16th in in baseball. So they're they're mediocre. They're middle of the pack. Syndergaard has come down to us. We know that he and Mats are struggling, whether it be mental or physical, with something. So now you're looking at this team. Conforto comes in, he comes out of it. Uh, Darnos doesn't seem to have to be able to find himself. Dude is done probably for the year. Cespedes, they mismanaged that injury. He's out for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, Bruce is going to have his adjustment period. He's, it's not just all of a sudden, and you saw that before the, the home run he had against the Yankees at the stadium. He's, you know, take yourself on July 31st. You're playing in Cincinnati, a team you've known for eight years, and then all of a sudden you, you move yourself to a pennant race with the Mets, a new team. You have seven days to find a place to stay. Your life is all thrown off. Not everybody's going to be like Cespedes. I'm going to have the, the, the light just go off. It just doesn't work that way. So, uh, you know, I don't know really what to expect out of this team. Uh, I think it's almost – it's going to be the best of the worst, it almost feels like. I still think they have a shot, but I don't – it just doesn't feel right. It feels like they're hanging around, but inevitably something's going to go wrong. Now, there have been examples. Go back to 1996 with the Baltimore Orioles and the year before that with the Yankees. So the Yankees were actually that 95 Yankees team that made that run down the stretch in a strike-shortened season. They were under 500 going into September. They were under 500 a lot that summer. They looked like a bad team, and, and uh, not only did they wind up uh, uh, making the playoffs, they really should have beaten Seattle and gone to the, the ALCS to play Cleveland, and, and they seem to always, that Yankees team, have the Indians' number. 
So it was always a very po- big possibility that everyone thought that if they had not blown that game five in Seattle, that that Yankees team would have went to the World Series. The 96 Orioles, they were in the ALCS. They were, they, I believe they were also uh, going into August around 500, a little under. And they make on a run. They almost came back to win the division. Then they play the Yankees in the ALCS, and the Yankees won that series in five, but the Orioles gave them some trouble. There was a thought at some point the Orioles could make it go to the World Series. Davey Johnson was the manager. So you see teams that are all discombobulated in the era of the wild card come together as late as August, September, and can make a run. And maybe, you know, you'll have Chris Brera healthy, hopefully. Uh, Cespedes will come back as you get later in the, uh, into the month. Uh, you know, you have Bruce now. Maybe he'll settle in. Maybe Darno will find himself. Now that Loney knows he's going to be the first baseman, he's not looking over his shoulder. Uh, Walker seems to be uh, you know, getting big hits. He seems to be back on track. The Oz is even uh, contributing. Hopefully you can get the pitchers to stay healthy in Matt and Syndergaard because you really can't afford to lose either one of those guys. Cologne seems to be giving you what a veteran gives you. You got the Grom. So you got a lot here. But I just don't know if this team is all that good, and that's the question. Um, and that brings me to the Collins and Alderson divide. I mean, forget the fact that Sandy basically, after Collins didn't uh, protest the or, or go to the replay for the play at home, even though I think Bruce was out. I don't know if if, if that was a totally legal under the current blocking the plate rules, but that's why you 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 actually go to the replay. Um, they're never on the same page. Like it's funny. Terry will go out and say, I think it was when Reyes was, was in the minor league, says, oh, he's not ready yet. He's not going to be ready for a while. Then the next day he, get brought, he gets brought up. Uh, you know, he says that Cespedes never really had a ser- serious injury, and, and Alderson says it's separate. There seems to be a disconnect. And look, Sandy Alderson is not a dummy here. And I understand that there's always been a feeling of politics with, with Collins uh, in, in his position with this team. But how can he feel good about how his manager, who couldn't even answer a simple question to the media about Cespedes golfing, where the perception was bad, and we could sit here and debate all you want about how, uh, you know, difficult it would be for somebody to uh, to come back that night after straining their their uh, their quad, I mean, meaningless at bat, which he should never have had. But I digress. Um, play golf and then go out there and play a baseball game. I mean, you know, he's an athlete, uh, Cespedes. He's done that before, and it's his right. It's his personal time. He can do whatever he wants, but it shows you kind of a lack of uh, understanding. Players need to be on the same page about winning. They don't have to like each other, but they have to be on the same page, and part of winning is taking care of yourself. And if he's, ra- if he's out there, Cespedes, rather golfing than taking care of his quad, that tells me he's not all that serious about Winning with this team, that's not leadership. That's up to the manager to call that kind of player out. Does it matter if it really was one-to-one related to the quad? How it looks? How does the rest of the team feel who are busting their hump? guy like Steven Matz who very easily could say, hey, I'm going under to go get my chips done. I'll see you in 2017. He's pitching through pain. What, does, what message does that sound? And that's, what message does that send now? A lot of that is on the player, but the manager has to set that tone. And I feel he just goes out there and he protects his players, and that's the way he's going to feel like they're going to stick with him in the trenches. I'm telling you, they're not. They're not, and I just get the feeling. Forget just the fact that Sandy says one thing and, and Collins says another. I just feel that everyone keeps saying, the media, oh, that players love Terry. Well, maybe that's not all that good. Maybe liking the manager isn't the best thing. You know, that's that to me is is, is part of it, but... Um, let me let me get to a, a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll have John Delcos, New York Mets report. We'll talk to him a little later on. We'll do a little A Rod. What if? 
I'll even ask get John involved in that and just go back and, and think what would have happened if uh, if A-Rod decided to uh, sign with the Mets after 2000. We'll do that, and we'll have some fun. So you're listening to the uh, Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out this show all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. We'll be right back with John Delcos right after this. Does he look a little tight to you, or do you think he's just Well, you said he came ball? here. He, he's got like an 0 for 20 going, yeah. right? He came here, and it was probably in a slump. He's swinging through a lot of things. He's going to come out of it. One one from Ivaldi, and he lifts one to deep right center field. Back in the gap, Elsberry. Back near the wall. It's out of here! Jay Bruce's first hit as a man is a three-run homer. That's the way to break a slump. See the new channel be Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. Sound like a boo. Sounds like a Springsteen concert. <laughs> Number 26 for Bruce's first is a match, and it's a big one. It gives the men a four-nothing lead. You know, look at he's fired up. back. Mike Silva, Talking Mets Podcast, and I'm happy to have with me John Delcos. You guys know John if you're on Twitter, at Jay Delcos on Twitter, New York Mets Report. Member of the BBWAA, has covered the baseball for 25 years, the Orioles, the Yankees, the Mets, and uh, been interacting with him a little bit on Twitter. He's, uh, he's definitely on the same page with me when it comes to some of the things that are going on with the Mets. John, uh, pleasure to have you on. How you been? What's going on? Mike, it's, it's a pleasure to be on. It's always nice to talk to you. And um, what's going on is not a whole lot of anything, just watching this team try to stay afloat. That, that's the way I would put it. And, uh, you know, in the open, uh, I start out by saying, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts, I, I don't dislike anything they did at the deadline. Jay Bruce doesn't hurt them. I would have preferred Nimmo. I would have preferred to see Nimmo go in the deal. I think Nimmo's a, a fourth outfielder type. I'm not a scout. What do I know? And Herrera, even though he didn't show me a lot, in a brief major league stint, seemed to be the higher ceiling. I guess I'm not surprised it went that route. So I like the Jay Bruce deal. Gives you a little uh, leverage with Cespedes. Gives you somebody in case Cespedes walks. John Neese, to me, a couple of things on that. I, I really don't think it's a big deal the way he w- went out of here with his comments. Bastardo never really seemed to have a role here from spring training on, which was odd considering he was brought in at a, a two-year, $12 million deal. Um, so it was a problem for a problem. And considering the prices out there, Probably the best the Mets could do to bring in someone who could potentially start in John Nee. So give me a little bit about the deadline. I, I think the t- deals don't – they're not necessarily going to get them to the World Series, but they help, and they don't hurt them in the long run. Well, I love the Jay Bruce deal. I, I've always loved to watch Jay Bruce play. I think there's tremendous upside to him. Uh, I would not have met, made the deal if there was a chance that he would walk after the season. So the fact that uh, the Mets have a team option for 2017 is – a total positive. Um, Brandon Nimmo, uh, I'm glad he's still here. Uh, Dilson Herrera never did anything for me one way or the other. Uh, my first inclination on Herrera is if he was all that red hot, and if the ceiling was that high for him, um, then why did they bother go getting Neil Walker? If you remember correctly, Daniel Murphy, uh, when he left, the fact that Dilson Herrera was waiting in the wings was one of the reasons why they found it so easy to let him go. As far as uh, John Neese for Bastardo is concerned, uh, trading one problem for another. Uh, I think there's a better upside with Neese because he can give them a start. I think he's going to end up going into the rotation after Logan Verrett's game last night. 
So it's a win-win. Uh, if you look at the uh, free agent market next year for pitchers, uh, and that's something the Mets should be doing, um, John Neese is gives them some sort of an option. As far as going back to Jay Bruce being a fallback in case Cespedes leaves, my hope is, please, I hope he leaves. I, I want to see Cespedes out of here. Uh, have him catch a tee time somewhere else. But I don't want him to play with the, net, the Mets anymore. I just I don't think it was a good fit. I think um, the Mets made a poor decision in, in re-signing him, and the fact that they gave him uh, $27.5 million for this year with the opt-out, $50 million more on the books, they're in for a lot of money if, if Cespedes decides to stay. And his injury is worrisome to me, not in the fact that he may not be able to play in the second half, if he doesn't play in the second half, he might just have not, nothing else better to do than to stay with the Mets. Yeah, no, quads are, are very tricky. That's interesting that you said that because, you know, Cespedes brings a lot to the table. I mean, if he's healthy, he could run. He could certainly play gold glove defense. He could play two positions in the outfield. I mean, he's not really a center fielder, but he, he's not that bad. He's a little quirky out there. He's got power, which is in short supply. He's, he's not – Jay Bruce, to me, is a much better version of Lucas Duda. I don't want to say he's Lucas Duda, but he fits in that mold where Cespedes with his arm could do a few different things. But what I said in the open is this, John, and, and I can understand where you're coming from. The concerns you had about Cespedes, you're seeing a little bit of that this year. First, early in the season, when he wouldn't slide. I understand he had the bruise, but to me that was uh, you know, not great out there. Look, if you can't slide, you can't play a complete game of baseball, go on the DL. Um, now he's got the quad exactly injury. Exactly right, Mike. Exactly right. right. And, and, and you, you, and, you go uh, on the DL. Now, the golf thing, look, and we'll get to Sandy and, and, and Collins and, and the disconnect and, and how it never seems to be that they're on the same page. Uh, listen, I'm not a doctor. I certainly don't think he was out there walking 18 or 36 holes. And you're in a golf cart. It's not the most strenuous. It saps your energy because it's hot. It's not the most strenuous thing. But he's playing serious golf. He's not just taking a few hacks. It has to have an impact. And I'm saying to myself, if I'm Steven Matz and I have a, a bone spur and I'm trying to play through the pain when I could easily have shut it down, and that would have been his right. And here's this guy. We're trying to win here. It's not about liking everybody. It's always about is everybody on the same page about winning? And you have to wonder after that, is Cespedes on the same page about winning? And the fact that Collins is joking about it tells me that he's never had that sit-down conversation. Like, are you in the trenches with these guys? Because these guys are in pain. So I can see your point, but letting Cespedes walk is dangerous, though, uh, John, because he's got a lot of talent. He's an impact hitter on a team that, going into next year, hate to look to next year, even with Jay Bruce, uh, maybe Duda comes back, you're going to need to replace that bat. It's not going to be that easy to do that. So it's kind of a catch-22, you know. but I understand where you're coming from there. Well, yes, Cespedes has a lot to bring to the table. However, he has a lot to bring to the table when he wants to play, uh, and he doesn't always want to play. There are times that I think Cespedes, for example, in spring training, was more interested in being a cartoon character. I think driving to camp every day for a week in a different car is just somebody who's just making light of things. Yes, the idea is to win, but Cespedes doesn't always do that. He takes plays off. He doesn't always run hard on the bases. He loafs in the outfield at times. It's just maddening to watch him play. 
you can go ahead and say, well, that's Yoannis being Yoannis, the same way they used to say in Boston, that's Manny being Manny. Manny Ramirez was far worse, but Cespedes has that same type of I-don't-give-a-damn attitude that he, that he portrays. Now, as far as the golf goes, um, no, he was not walking 18 holes. Yes, he had a golf cart. But if you listen to some of these guys' managers talk about wanting to give their players um, a break when they play interleague games so they can use the DH so their players don't stand around in the outfield for, or the infield for three hours. Standing around is sure. draining in 90-degree heat. Standing around and even the walking from shot to shot is draining. Now, when you look at the baseball swing, and a lot of players make equate, equate the baseball swing with the golf swing, the baseball swing is not how strong you are in your upper body, but the strength is generated from your legs, your hips. There's a lot of torque in there. There's a lot of torque. There's a lot of twisting. There's a lot of movement in the golf swing as well. That all is a strain. Whether the Mets want to acknowledge it or not, no. Maybe the golfing didn't become the reason why he got hurt that night, but the fact of the matter is he wasn't, he was tired. He was strained. And another thing that I haven't heard anybody mention, none of the big New York columnists have mentioned this, when Cespedes was out on that golf course, he was not getting treatment for his legs. Now, you can make the equation that he got hurt playing golf or not. And the perception slash reality comment is very, very true, regardless of what Terry Collins wants to say about it. When you can't play center field, when you beg off and ask your team to move you because it's a strain on your legs, then you shouldn't be golfing. When you're not taking your full complement of swings in the batting cage or in batting practice because you want to preserve your legs, then that's a reason not to be playing golf. When you can't take your batting practice swings, but when you can take your golf swings, what does that tell you? Now, yep, it tells you that there is, there is a disconnect. Now, Collins, I, 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 he comes off looking like an idiot when he says, golf didn't do this, there's no correlation. But Collins is in an extremely difficult position. One, he has a general manager that doesn't like him. Two, he has a growing fan base that doesn't like him. Three, he has a team that's falling away or getting away from the pennant race. He's got to stand up for Cespedes because he may need Cespedes at the end of the year, and he doesn't want to alien him every, any more than he wants to. But if Terry Collins were totally honest with himself and totally honest with us and totally honest with the team and everything, he would have ripped Cespedes. He would have prevented, he would have put institute a rule that you don't go out on the golf course. And as far as Alderson is concerned, what Alderson did with Cespedes is the same thing he did with Matt Harvey, and that's not have enough backbone, enough balls to stand up to a star player. You know Cespedes. what, John? I can't, I, I, can't, I can't disagree. I can't agree more. You know what's interesting, and you've, you've been covering sports for 25 years, and I remember back 
And I know it's yeah, a different Mike, sport. Don't, 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 keep, don't keep saying that because it makes me an old man. <laughs> no, I don't. But you, you know what? Did you remember? And you're, and you're right. I have been covering it for a long time. You know, but, but here's the thing. You remember a time when the media, when you were covering a team, and you could be used as a tool to send messages. Pat Riley would do that all the time uh, back in the day. David Johnson, you know, Bobby Valentine would use the media. I'm not saying you use it all the time, but you're right. There was an opportunity to call somebody out. I mean, and Absolutely. even as Colin, you talk, you talk about uh, Cespedes and discipline. I don't see this as a disciplined team. Deaza, there's a guy he's played well last month. It wasn't too long ago that he was putting a bunt up and not running out of the batter's box. Fundamentally, they're sloppy. I understand they're big leaguers, but they're sloppy. Granderson cost them a game against Atlanta uh, about a, a, a six weeks ago or so. Nobody sits. Nobody gets disciplined. I understand they're adults. I'm not saying this is Little League, but you know what? Uh, there are certain things you can't stand for, and if you're a team with aspirations to get back to the World Series, just to get to the World Series is hard. Repeating two years in a row, whether you win or not, is extremely hard. Ask anybody who's, who's been in that position, and if you're not all on the same page, you're not all disciplined, it's not going to happen. And I don't think this manager, and I get criticized for this, I'm curious what you think, went into this season, in this front office, ready to go and repeat. They were trying to survive the season, make it to the playoffs, whatever way possible, and then you know, win the tournament like they did last year. It doesn't happen that way. And you know what? The Nationals no, did the opposite. They said, the Nationals said, we want to win this division. We want to avenge last year. And look, they're, they're almost 10 games up over them. So to me, this well, falls on, yes, the front office, but the coaching staff to me is who has failed them. And that's where the 57 and 54, forget the injuries for a minute, 57-54 as much as what was seeded in spring training as it is about what's happened in terms of the trainers. There's there's so many fingers to be pointed on, on uh, Michael. Um, there's all the sin for not putting together the proper team. Uh, I think that the fact that uh, you have this all-or-nothing mentality with the Mets offense, home runs or bust, that, that falls on Alderson. Yeah, I like Neil Walker. They won today because of Neil Walker. But I, I prefer Daniel Murphy, and you always have to wonder what the underlying reasons why Murphy wasn't brought back. I think they'd be better off with Murphy, and that's not just 2020 hindsight. That's just the way the way it is. Um, the fact of the matter is that the contract that they assume with uh, Neil Walker is one where Walker may leave at the end of the at the end of the year. He may leave next winter, and they're again in a position of trying to find a second baseman. Who's going to be their second baseman next year? Probably, is it going to be Jose Reyes? Is it going to be Wilmer Flores? Is it going to be Matt Reynolds? Is it going to be, you know, who's going to be their second baseman next year? That's an, that's something that needs to be answered. Who's going to be their catcher next year? Who's going to be their first baseman? They're going to need another outfielder. They're going to, who's going to play third? They had so many questions on who's going to be around or who, what void they're going to have in the offseason. And that all falls on Alderson. Alderson's the guy that puts this team together, and he didn't put together an appropriate team. He didn't take into account that um, they didn't have David Wright for four and a half months last year. You think there's a chance this guy's going to break down? Well, who's going to be uh, third base? And who knows? Um, that's something they didn't take into consideration. Um, there's a consideration with um, the best plans where Bartolo Colon is going to be in the bullpen by now because Zach Wheeler was going to be be up here. Well, they they missed the boat on that one. Zach Wheeler is, is you're not going to see him before September, so he's he's done. Um, there's no you know you can't guess when Lucas Duda is going to get hurt. 
but you know that they don't have anybody to replace them. They just Alderson hasn't done a good job, I think, in putting together the right pieces. I think that he's made some mistakes. I think he's made some um, great additions in season. Loney was a good addition in season, um, and and <clears throat> I think Renee Rivera was a good addition in season. Um, but and last year he made a, a good decision to bring up Michael Conforto. But that again reflects the disconnect between this team. If Michael Conforto isn't playing, Terry Kest, Terry Collins says, then he shouldn't be here. Michael Conforto is our number three hitter of the future. Michael Conforto is going to bat against left-handers. Well, he's not. None of that stuff has happened. That, that's the thing that, to me, is the most maddening about Collins. He makes these comments, and <clears throat> excuse me, and, and he just backs, backtracks on, on them. All, um, the, all the time. All, John, you, you, you've seen this. Uh, whether you're there talking to him or, or watching the post game, which is a different type of uh, group thing that's on TV, he says one thing and he never, never goes through it. I remember I talked to a player who played for him his first year here in 2011. First conversation, spring training, he told the player, "If I get you up in a bullpen, I'm going to get you in," and it never happened. And you know what? It, it just—it seems like he, he has good intentions. Now, some people say, and this is where you know, listening to you, John, I get the impression you don't feel this team even though they're in this muck, is going to be a playoff team this year. So no, if they I don't the playoffs, think they're going to be a playoff team. You don't, right. Okay, and no, I don't disagree with you. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think they're going to be collapsing and falling out of it. I think that this is going to go down to the wire, but they're in this, 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 this muck. Now, during the All-Star break, I called it a missive. It wasn't really positioned that way in terms of headline, but Sandy Alderson said, as he does in his lawyerly way, I expect this team to make the playoffs. He sees no reason. So if this team doesn't make the playoffs – I was a little surprised because I've never gotten the impression that the GM dislikes Collins because if he dislikes Collins, I wonder why he's put up with him for five years because he's been a bad manager since day one. It just doesn't start now. Um, well, I, and is I, Terry I Collins going to get fired? Is that the thing? My gut in, inclination is no, he's not going to get fired. He's not going to get fired for the following reasons. One, by and large, the team plays hard for him. They don't necessarily play smart for him, but they do play hard for him by and large. Most importantly is the complete run of injuries. Now, we can go back and evaluate the Mets medical staff, and if you recall, the day that Sandy Alderson was hired, Jeff Wilpon said that the Mets medical procedures would be reevaluated and um, changed. Well, it hasn't been. They misjudge and mishandle injury after injury after injury. Um, they did it with Matt Harvey. They did it with Stephen Matz. They did it and are currently doing it with Matz and Noah Syndergaard. Um, they did it with Cespedes. They did it with David Wright. Um, they did it with, who am I forgetting? But it, it, it is, it, it's a persistent habit. They don't handle injuries well. That's going to give Collins a pass. And what's also going to give Collins a pass is that he acts as a buffer between Alderson and management as far as who's to blame. You know, mm. once Collins is out of there, it's all Sandy Alderson now. And right. he can't make any excuses. The, the heat will get hotter if Collins is out on Sandy Alderson. And I think the heat should be on Alderson first because, after all, he's the guy that puts it together. Early in Collins' tenure with the Mets, he was given a pass because of the 
the budget because of the injuries, because Alderson didn't put together a good team for him. They didn't have the pieces. So why hammer it out and blame the manager? Well, he does have the pieces now, but Alderson doesn't have the right complementary pieces. There's a, a disconnect in as far as um, team discipline is concerned. And Collins is, does some just screwy things, makes some screwy pronouncements that it doesn't follow through. Yeah, Collins has a lot to blame for this, but I think the bulk of the blame has to go on Alderson. And if I'm pointing fingers, I'm going to point one more, and I'm going to point it at Matt Harvey. Um, mm. Matt Harvey is out for the year. He had a shoulder problem. But when he went on the DL with his shoulder problem, then came the news that he had been bothered with this in spring training, but he never said anything. This is the second time right. that Matt Harvey has not disclosed an arm problem that has resulted in surgery. The first time he did it was in 2013. He had the forearm, but he insisted on pitching in the All-Star game. And the Mets insisted on him pitching in that All-Star game. And they threw him out there when he wasn't healthy, and he ended up having Tommy John surgery. Then the Mets played around with him for a couple months on where he'll do his rehab, and that became an issue, and will he have surgery, and that became an issue. And the Mets have gone over, bent over backwards in trying to placate Matt Harvey. They did it all last year on the innings limits fiasco. Um, uh, we can talk. There, I'll, I'll point to two quick games. One game, he was going to pitch on a Sunday at City Field. He called the trainer uh, early in the morning saying that he, he, he was really sick. He ended up having a strep throat. But he pitched. He pitched. He had nothing, mm -hmm. and he pitched. That's five, six innings that he gave the Mets that he should have been better off resting. Then there was that game. I don't know if you remember, remember it. They're playing the Yankees. They have a big lead in the ninth inning. Uh, they were going to limit. They were going to limit um, Harvey to seven innings, <clears throat> but he goes out in the ninth, he and they finally get him out there. Right, right. No, I remember yeah. that. I, I remember that specifically. And th th but see, this goes back to, and I can blame Collins, but see, I question Worthen too. I mean, all I heard in spring training was how great Harvey looked, and I'm saying to myself, well, if he had this issue, not that you could feel a player's pain, but this clearly was something off with his velocity. Now that the injury, the uh, that he, the TOS that he has is more about, I think, it, it, from, from my novice medical uh, gathering here, you, you get tired quicker. So that's why you saw a lot of what happened the second time around the order. But you look, you know, DeGrom admitted that he really didn't come prepared. Now, DeGrom had some other things going on with the new baby and whatnot. Matt's has had a bone spur. Um, you know, they're very lucky about Cologne, that, that he's been as good as he had. I mean, oh, I understand... Yeah, I understand they're third in the league in ERA, but if I'm the owner of this team, I'm saying to myself, have any of these young pitchers really been handled properly? Now, last year with Harvey, I'll go back to that. If there was an innings limit, I cannot imagine on September 15th that all of a sudden that came up. So why all year was this not planned unless they didn't think they were going to make the playoffs? Just well, like Washington, I don't really think – well, because I think Washington with, 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 with uh, Strasburg, I don't think they really thought they were going to make the playoffs that year. And, and to me, that was – I mean, you should plan on saying if I, if I get in the race, because, I mean, anybody – you can see the Mets are 57 and 54. They're in the race. It doesn't take a lot to be, quote, unquote, in the race. You want to have this, this guy available in October. And it didn't seem like there was a plan. There's never a plan. 
You're right, John. There, there never the front was a office. plan. And yeah, that's, that, plan? Falls on, that falls on that falls on Alderson. Um, uh, it falls on Har, uh, Collins not having the the uh, backbone to stand up to, to, to Harvey. Um, I wrote at the beginning of spring training in 2015 that the Mets needed a definitive plan for Matt Harvey. Now, let's say you go under the under the um, assumption that um, you're going to limit him to six or seven uh, innings uh, a start. Um, if you take away one start a month, that's six starts. Six times six is 36. Six times seven is 42. On the high end, you're, you're saving him 42 innings by cutting him off at seven innings at the start and having a definitive um, plan. That's the number of uh, innings he's going to work, and we're going to pull him out of one game a month and, and, and bypass that. They had um, the depth with Cologne. They had the depth with Barrett. They had the, the resources to do that, but they didn't do it. And all of a sudden now we're, you're talking about September, and you have Boris mentioning that. The only person in this whole scenario that told the truth was Scott Boris. <clears throat> for for sure. for all all those in to say we don't have an inning, a limit, and 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 Harvey to say well this is all all news to me, blah blah blah. That's not true. They know it. <clears throat> they just didn't do it, and and maybe they didn't think they'd get into the playoffs. But you have to go and 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 um, you, what you have to do is you have to backdate. And you're, you, you assume that you're going to make 33 starts times X number of innings. There's your innings total. And if you get into the playoffs, then you're, you're going to add at least three starts um, to that. So that's the, the cutoff number of the total innings that Matt Harvey should have been pitching. And then you backdate it with, I'm going to cut off a start in April, May, June, July, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to pitch him only two innings a, a start. And you stick with it. You you you. It doesn't matter if he has a no-hitter. Um, there's been managers this year that pulled pitchers who had no-hitters sure. because of preserving their arms. Well, Collins waffled. Collins waffled several times last year. He waffled the most notably in Game 5 of the World Series. He's a very, you know, he's a very indecisive guy. This is why he's so damaging for this team. I mean, he blew, look, Game 4 of that World Series, and I know I, we're going back here. That was when this was lost. Yeah, Murphy made the error, but... Ned Yost brings in his closer for two innings. Collins doesn't. He starts with Clippard, and they lost. Uh, you saw it yesterday with the instant replay. Bruce was out. I don't know. Maybe they could have called that the block of the plate was illegal. He, he's a very indecisive guy in game. See, I get the impression, and I, and I look at the game against the Yankees earlier this week when he started the, the inning with Blevins, knowing that Reed really doesn't do great with runners on coming in the middle of an inning. You can never totally avoid it. But I'm saying to myself, why wouldn't you just go with Reed? You're going to save him for a couple batters? Once these guys get up, I mean, they're up. I mean, it's, you're not saving a lot with a couple of batters. Reed, um, Reed had 10 holds in the month of July. Why, why he's not the first guy out, you, do, right. you have a plan. You've been doing it all year. Why change? And, and, and why even change? more in that game, you're up by five runs, and you decide to pinch hit Cespedes. Why? Why would right the game in right exactly like why? Why would you do that? The logic it doesn't make sense. Like I I, and if I'm sitting here and I'm saying to myself, if he does survive, and I understand what you're saying, John, 
he may survive. He's a buffer for the GM. And, and maybe the politics of it, that the ownership group doesn't want to pay two managers, and, 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 and they like him. And, and he's maybe he retires after next year. But how can you sit, listen to him post game? How can you watch the game, even from a cursory way of knowing baseball, and say, that's my guy? That's the guy that's going to be a difference maker. Uh, when he blew the World Series, he struggled with the bullpen. I get the impression that he'll be able to put a plan together going into the game. He doesn't think within the game. So maybe at some point he said, well, if I get there late, Blevins is going to get the lefties. I want to limit Reed to you know, two batters or whatever it may be. I don't know if there was a medical reason for that. I, I, I don't know. I'm not in that clubhouse. But to me, there's no in-game adjustment. There's no thinking ahead. And that's what makes a great manager. I mean, this idea that, well, anybody can manage and it doesn't matter, I don't feel Terry Collins puts his players in a position to be successful. And that's the one thing a manager can do, put them in the best possible position to be successful. Look, we could criticize Bistardo all we want. Maybe he's not that good. That was a bad signing by Alderson. He's had a few of them. But did you get an impre- a feeling from spring training on, what was the guy's role out of that bullpen? I never could figure it out, John. And if that is the case, that he didn't have a role, then this coaching staff has as much to blame for his inability to be successful here as is Bistardo. At least I look at it that way. Now, there's a lot of people disagree, the only, but that's, that's the way I look at it. The only relievers that had to find roles were Familia and Addison Reed. And I don't think that's right. I think you need, I think you need a definitive seven, eight, nine guy. You need a definitive left-handed guy. You need a definitive long guy. You, you, you need baseballs about roles. Players who aren't everyday players um, and relief pitchers who aren't closers, they want to know their roles. <clears throat> they want to know when they should be up in the bullpen. They want them to go to the, the park that day knowing they, whether they will or will not be in that game. And you never got that with the Mets relievers. You don't know who's doing what to what. And you're, you're there are times when, you, oh, yeah, he's still on the team. You know, that type of thing. Your guy will be buried for two weeks, and then, then you right. see him. Well, that's not right. And, 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 and you don't see that with Mets relievers. I never felt that any Met reliever had a, um, 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 a, an idea of what they were going to do once they got to the park that day. No, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Have with me John Delcos, New York Mets Report, at Jay Delcos on Twitter. A couple more here, John, uh, before we wrap up. Um, so, you know, you, the Mets are at 57-54. They're in this dogfight. It's, it's a complete mess. The Dodgers lead this, this group. You've got the Cardinals. You've got the Marlins. The Rockies have snuck in. Now, the Pirates, uh, you know, at the beginning of the day were ahead of the Mets. Not the place you want to be. Um, I don't think they're going to fade and fall out of it. The schedule is pretty favorable. You don't feel they're going to make the playoffs. Give me an idea. What what do you foresee with this club, how this is going over the next six, seven weeks? Because you said earlier you don't think they're going to make the playoffs, even in this playing game, um, which well, right now Collins that's is, really the only the only goal that you have right now. You're not going to win this Collins has pointed to several uh, spots during the season that were make-or-break spots. And they didn't really do well. For example, right out of the, right out of the, um, heading into the All Star break, that that ten games or fourteen games stretch they had at home, which they barely played five hundred in, um, the stretch coming out of the All Star break, which they barely played. Now they they win one, lose one every day since the end of the All since the All Star break. Uh, that's not going to get it done. They have a favorable schedule this week 
at home with Arizona and San Diego. Um, we'll see on what happens after another this week whether they they make a, a, a legitimate run for it. If they are still playing, you know, 500 at the end of this week, then I, I just don't see anything happening. I don't see any any way they're going to turn it around. Um, can they get into the playoffs? Sure, they can. But will will they? I really I really doubt they will. I think one other think thing. No, I, I, I'm with you. One other thing, uh, A-Rod uh, announces a retirement. Kind of an odd situation. It just brought up, and there was some talk on Twitter, what Mets fans, what if? What if Steve Phillips, um, who gets blamed, but really it was ownership, uh, didn't make the 24-1 comment? What if the Mets had Pony up for the 10-year deal? Would would 2001, 2002, 2003, how would it be different? You know, you might not have David right now. You, you don't know. Uh, any thoughts, even though this is a Mets-centric yeah. segment, any thoughts on A-Rod retiring and, and what if what would have happened if A-Rod had come to Absolutely a lot of thoughts on that, Mike. In fact, I'm writing a column on it right now on what would have happened if Rodriguez so signed with the it. Mets. Um, <laughs> he's the column, well, so the NewYorkMetsReport.com, they'll go and they'll flock to it right after the program. Well, one thing is, um, well, they were almost, they were in it right after the two, 2000 World Series. So, would signing Rodriguez have put them over the top? It's possible. It might have. Um, but the guy that I think it would have impacted the most was Jose Reyes. If you have Alex Rodriguez sign and he's your shortstop, he was playing shortstop back then with Seattle and then Texas. Um, he would have been the shortstop and then you would have had. Rodriguez and Wright on the left side of the infield, which would have been pretty spectacular. I think it would have helped um, Wright transition into the into the major leagues. And then you look at you look at the team, the hitters that they had, um, Beltran. Of course, the caveat is if they had Rodriguez, would they have spent the money on Beltran? I don't know, but let's assume that they would have. You would have Beltran, Del- Delgado, Wright. Alex Rodriguez, that's a, that's a hell of a team. Um, yep. They might have done some serious damage. I think it would have kept Reyes off the field, uh, unless, of course, they would have started Reyes at second base, and then you had an infield of Delgado, Reyes, Rodriguez, and Wright. That would have been pretty spectacular. So Mets fans could have wondered, you know, what if? But, um, yeah, there's that tw- that 24-1 type of thing, and, and – and, um, Phillips backed down off of that, and I didn't have any problems at the time with that because I think that you really want a team rather than just a one one superstar and building off around that. But still, that that was a lot of potential. I think the reason they didn't do it is they just didn't want the money. They didn't want to spend what it would have taken to, to get that. And, and and he did sign a historic contract with Texas uh, after that World Series. So. The, the Mets wouldn't have gotten him based on the money. Uh, you can talk all you want about him wanting a private suite and and all that sort of stuff, but, but they just weren't going to spend the money. And um, but yeah, it would have been entire, it, it really exciting to see what they would have had and what time of team they would have had if Rodriguez playing in his prime uh, in the 2000s. And don't forget that was a time when they had um, they signed later Martinez. And Glavin, and they had some pretty decent pitching, and they got into the playoffs in 2006. They they had some they had some stud players. 
and Rodriguez in the middle of that would have, that would have been a formidable team. Absolutely. We'll go to the New York Mets report dot com. Uh, it's check not it up out. yet. Uh, it's not up yet. It'll be up in about <laughs> well, an hour when, or two. We, this won't. This when this by the time by the time this goes up, we'll uh, we'll go there. But go there anyway. It's good stuff. Follow John on Twitter at jdelcos on Twitter. John, uh, I enjoy following you. Thank you so much. You've been generous with your time here on a weekend. Let's do this again. Be well, and um, Mike, you know maybe the Mets turn it around and uh, we'll 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 have more to talk about. Alrighty. Anytime you want to do this, Mike, just give me a shout. All right. Have a great Sunday, John. Take care, John Delcos. At Jay Delcos on Twitter, NewYorkMetsReport.com. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to wrap up. Uh, interesting stuff. John had some interesting stuff to say, especially with Jonas Cispedes. I'd be curious what the reaction is uh, from the fan base on that one when this, uh, when this podcast goes up later. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Uh, go to MetsmerizedOnline.com to check out the podcast every week. It's on SoundCloud and uh, any other uh, podcasting service you want. I'm pretty much everywhere, so just go out there. And there's, if you want to subscribe to iTunes, whatever, I'm there. I don't need to go through the whole list. We'll be right back with final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Talking Mets podcast, final segment here on this Sunday. Early August, it's the dog days of August, and uh, Mets are in the thick of a wild, wild card race, which, like I said, I think this is going to go down to the the final. I think it's going to be one of those where you have that last game is at 3 o'clock. Everybody starts at 3 o'clock, and you're going to be checking scoreboards, and I have a feeling it's going to – I just have that gut feeling. I don't know. And it's going to suck because the Mets fans are going to – probably going to have to, uh, you know, instead of preparing for a a playoff series – you have to wonder if you're in the playoffs, and you do all that just to get to a playing game. Sometimes you wonder, uh, you know, you never want to turn down a playoff appearance, but it's just not the same. Like, it's not what you envision with this team going into this year. You wanted to set it up where um, they put themselves in a position to be as successful as they can, and what they did last year, which is win the division, because that puts you in a good spot. But anyway, you know, John, to wrap up, had some interesting comments about A-Rod, and it made me even think, uh, you know, there's so much that could have happened and I know this was bandied about on Twitter. Our buddy Shannon at Mets Police put a whole little – at MetsPolice.com put a whole little uh, article together, a fictitious uh, run. But uh, after the 2000 season, the Mets had to either resign uh, Hampton, and they didn't. And if you remember, the Hampton was the reason why they got David Wright because they got a compensation pick for that. But then they go into 2001, and uh, they really – other than Kevin Apier coming in, they didn't really upgrade the offense. And that offense, uh, as Ventura has started to decline – uh, Piazza uh, was still in his prime, but he had no protection. Zeal really dropped off. Alfonso didn't have a good year. Really what happened to that Mets team 
because Apier wasn't terrible. If you go and look at Apier's numbers, he gave you a sim- not the type of performance that you got out of, out of uh, Hampton, but he gave you a very solid above league average year. You had Al Leiter. You know, in the middle of the rotation, you had Traxel and Glendon Rush. You had Rick Reed. They, it wasn't a great rotation like the, the year before, but it was serviceable. They always seemed to have a solid bullpen with Wendell and Cook, who they wound up trading uh, at one point uh, that year uh, as they were doing a fire sale and they thought they were out of it. But offensively, Zeal and Alfonso uh, hurting his back and declining was really where it started. But if you had A-Rod, you have to think it changes that offense. And having A-Rod, a couple of things happen. He's right, John. Jose Reyes probably is not part of this team then. Um, you know, They may move him to second, but more than likely maybe they use him. Because at that point, it would be much easier to use him as trade bait to get another player. Uh, remember, Brian Cole died. Brian Cole was an outfielder. He had a car accident. He was, uh, and they were. There's been some uh, dialogue about him. 15 years later, he was going to be their five-two player brought up. Everyone talks about uh, Alex Escobar, who they wound up trading for Roberto Alomar. Brian Cole dying that spring training really put a pall over that team. But you had Brian Cole. You had a lot of young, a couple of young players with. You know, if you drafted right, A Rod would have been the perfect guy. He was in the early enough, still his early 20s. You had a 10-year deal. He was marketable. You would have been right there with the Yankees. I don't know if they would have been any better. Uh, because it's more than just about A-Rod, and I don't know what kind of financial flexibility, because if you remember back then, it wasn't like the Mets all of a sudden had this wide-ranging financial flexibility. I mean, A-Rod's salary at $25 million would have put a big hit on a team that probably was only going to have a $100 million payroll. So you're talking about a quarter of the payroll, which is A-Rod, and then you're looking at Piazza, who had a seven-year, um, uh, $96 million deal. So now Piazza's making... Uh, you know, approximately twelve million dollars or so, right? So that's uh, you know, ninety-six divided by seven. Here, I got to do my quick, quick math. Uh, Piazza's may uh, make, make about fourteen million dollars a year, thirteen and a half million dollars a year. So you're talking about thirty-eight to forty percent of your payroll tied up in two players. That's a lot for a baseball team because you need to build around them. And pitching is at a premium. Pitching cost. You had lighter on the team. So I'm not going to go through uh, money, but. You don't know if you get called. You probably don't get calls Beltron a few years later. You know, does A-Rod do steroids early on? Because one of the things he did, he did them later in his career because he was breaking down. But early in his career, it was the Texas Heat he cited as the reason why he had done steroids. Does that change that? The Yankee brand, which was that 2014 with A-Rod moving to third base, like, does he go through the struggles? There's just so many what-ifs. It's amazing how one move. Just a comment of 24-1, and A-Rod, make no mistake about it. If you're a Mets fan who was old enough to remember during that time, as way back as 1998, there was talk of A-Rod wanting to come to the Mets. He made no secret about it. He talked about growing up in New York and Mike and the Mad Dog and being a Mets fan. Whether that was phony A-Rod, who was always contrived in a lot of ways or not, I don't know. But I do know this. I know that um, it would have put a spiral of events that changes the course of Mets history. It just does. And it was something that Piazza really needed, because if you look at it, Piazza had Alfonso in 99 and 2000. He also had Old Root in 99, but he didn't have him in 2000. That was a bit, uh, a move that, that, for a variety of reasons, without getting back and too much Mets history uh, went down. I can tell you a story another day that Bobby Valentine told me at the Hamptons Film Festival a few years ago about why Old Root left, and it wasn't anything to do with money. Uh, but I won't get into that today. Um, you know, you lost Alfonso, who was that second banana, that Robin to his Batman. And I think Piazza could have used this, especially as he got north of 30. So you guess it's fun. Have that mental bubble gum. Have that, that thought process with 
with yourself as a Mets fan. What happens if, if A-Rod had come? Was the 2001 team, which just missed, would have been over, the, you know, kicked over the top and maybe got into the playoffs and would overcome the Braves? And the 2002 team, which wasn't good, but if you go back statistically, it wasn't horrible. They, they were they, – they, they just collapsed down the stretch. They lost like something like 14 in a row on uh, at home at one point. They just were bad, like – they didn't have enough. Even Mo Vaughn that year didn't have a terrible offensive year. Maybe you don't do the Mo Vaughn deal. Maybe you don't go after a, an aging 34-year-old Roberto Alomar. Um, you know, it just, to me, there was just, you know, maybe you don't go after Burn. Like, A-Rod in this lineup changes the way they view the offense. And maybe they don't make some kind of reactionary moves after 2001 to bring in players who are north of 30 past their prime and, and maybe a bad fit for the team at that time. And they were trying to recapture the magic of 2000. Uh, and as the pitching uh, disintegrated um, and got worse, and the bullpen got worse, um, and actually they had pretty good bullpens throughout the time, but as, as the starting pitching disintegrated, uh, they just couldn't compete. So interesting what if A-Rod's final game will be on Friday. It is a very weird situation how this went down, how you know it seems like A-Rod, unlike Teixeira, wants to play, um, but he just can't. You know, the Yankees don't believe he can. And good for the Yankees because at some point you got to stop doing the uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award scenario and move on and start to build the ball club. It's been a Lifetime Achievement Award now for four years between Posada and Jeter and Mariano and Pettit and A-Rod. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the Boston Celtics were bad for a long time after the 80s because they let those players get old together. Now, the Yankees won't have that same thing because the NBA is a different situation, a whole different animal. The Yankees are fortunate, and they've also made some great moves to bring in young players. Who knows if they work out? But you let players get old together. Um, typically, you have a lot of pain after those players uh, leave because you just can't replace them. And uh, you're seeing, I think, A-Rod is the final – You know, that's Sherrod has dropped. A-Rod is that final guy that they're saying goodbye to. And I don't know if he's done. Um, I mean, he's certainly going to work for the Yankees the rest of the year. He certainly wants to get, collect his $27 million. I mean, he can't play the field or else I know people would say, well, maybe the Mets could bring him in as a, as a, as a, a chance to shove it to the Yankees. I don't think he could play the field. Um, but you know what? He, he surprised me. I mean, he had uh, hip problems as early as uh, five years ago and he was able to come back. Now I know you're going to say steroids, um, but he's always found a way to kind of, uh, you know, especially after that year off, to, to play at a level, and he just dropped off. And that's an important point, you know, before we wrap up here. It's an important point when you bring up a, a Bartolo Colon. You know, A-Rod just fell off the cliff, and when you're north of 40, it goes fast. And, and I worry about that with Bartolo. Now, I know he says he wants to pitch to get past Juan Marichal, and he's pitched – he's been every bit of times the Mets' uh, most consistent pitcher. Now, you know, maybe not now with DeGrom back on track, but – He's been every bit the most consistent pitcher that the Mets have had. Um, but you worry, is he just going to lose it? Tom Glavin just lost it that last day in 2007. If you go back, he didn't get much better the following year when he went back to Atlanta in 2008. So, you know, when is uh, Father Time going to call? You don't know. When you're north of 40 and you're an athlete, it could happen at any point. Anyway, that's a wrap. I want to thank John Delcos. Check out John at the New York Mets Report.com at Jay Delcos on Twitter. You can check me out at Mike Silver Media on Twitter. And of course, check out this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at MetsMorizeOnline.com or whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Have a great Sunday. I'll see you guys next week.